0: You're listening to The Cat's Roundtable.
1: Good morning, New York. This is The Cat's Roundtable. John Cats he here. Sunday morning. Finally, there's a speaker at the House of Representatives. And we have one great show for you today. We have with us Dr. Sky. And he'll tell us what's going on up in the skies. Zach Williams, what's going on in Albany. Scott Shea, uh, who is chairman of Signature Bank and talks about banking and uh, anti-Semitism. David Patterson, former governor. And we're going to end the show with Mayor Eric Adams and his vision of what's going to happen in 2023. And to start off, we have Dick Morris. He's one smart guy. Uh, Dick Morris, it's been quite a week. What say you? What's going on?
2: Biden signaled uh, yesterday that he's decided to counter the Republican control of half of Congress with a, a blizzard of executive orders and regulations from agencies to go far beyond the reach of what normally you're allowed to do. And uh, this is uh, a strategy that, that is hinged on the idea that he could kind of have a negative veto, which means he can propose something terrible, and then uh, Congress can vote against it, but the Senate can stop him from passing a resolution against it. There's a story in the Wall Street Journal today that he wants to ban uh, contracts that require non-competes from employees after they leave. Which makes some sense, but it's hardly the business of the federal government to do that. And in some cases, it, uh, it would really help competition by doing it, and some, it would hurt it. And it certainly is not the business of the government to do it by fiat. Now, Congress can appeal that, but they have to reject it with majorities in both houses. So with their control of the Senate, they can stop that, and they can let the regulation take effect. So it really is a recipe for a kind of dictatorial government for the next two years where he can way overreach his bounds. Now, sometimes presidents can do that by executive orders, but they're limited what they can do by executive orders because there are strict statutory limits on that. They have to pertain to federal workers and stuff like that. But there are no such limits. or relatively few on what a federal agency can do about the environment it wants. Uh, the FCC, anything about communications, the media they want. And there are very loose, loose standards in that. The courts give them great discretion. So this becomes really a recipe for dictatorial governments over the next two years. And it's very scary.
1: I mean, there's so much scary stuff going on in Washington. Uh, we don't know what's going to be what and eventually. And uh, uh, the other scary thing is, I asked somebody uh, about the uh, Russian-Ukraine war, and Ukraine has declared that uh, the media cannot do anything without their permission.
2: Well, they're in the middle of a war. Let them do whatever they need to do to fight the war. And uh, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, The United States censored the hell out of its media in World War II, and it helped win the war. Um, and also you got to realize that there are a lot of Russians that live in Ukraine, many of them still loyal to Russia. And uh, it's a fifth column kind of thing. I, I have no problem with that. Look, I have no problem with what Ukraine needs to do to defeat the Russians. This is our fight and our war that they're fighting. with I Understood. Our weapons, and I'm grateful as hell that they're doing it.
1: Hillary Clinton <laughs> went to work for Columbia University as a professor.
2: Uh, that's your well, old alma mater. Yeah, I went to Columbia. That would just have to be a, another class that I'd cut.
1: <laughs> well, she's still a one smart lady.
2: Uh, anything else you want
1: to uh, uh, say?
2: Yeah, I think I'll enroll in the class just to see your reaction.
1: <laughs> I would go with you. I'll sit next to you.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: us today is Zach Williams, the New York Post, Albany uh, reporter and uh, editor, whatever. And uh, there's so many things happening in Albany. We have to talk to him. Zach, what the heck is going on in Albany? How broken is it?
3: <laughs> well, the pieces came together for sure this week, insofar as it was the first official day on uh, on Wednesday, where the Assembly and the State Senate um, met for the 2023 session. Lots of things up in the air, um, not least um, the topics of public safety and affordable housing, which the governor... Uh, Governor Kathy Hochul says, will be you know really prominent topics in her state of the state address next week. But in the meantime, there were two messes that Democrats had to clean up first. The first was uh, Republican Lester Chang. You might recall he was the candidate for the GOP down in southern Brooklyn, where he unexpectedly unseated longtime Democratic Assemblyman Peter Abate Jr., only to find out after the election that Democrats were going to raise concerns about whether he really lived in Brooklyn versus Manhattan, where he has previously voted and run for office. Now they had a hearing, they did a report. And then yesterday, like I said, was the first official day of the legislative session and assembly Democrats didn't do anything. Actually, Lester Chang just joined his colleagues cast procedural votes on the new rules, et cetera. um, Just like any other member. And it's increasingly looking like they might not boot him after all. Um, you know, a lot of Democrats obviously have a lot of concerns about how making Chang, the first person expelled from the Assembly in a century, would not go down well with Asian Americans, especially considering how few of them are in the state legislature. And, you know, in recent years, um, there's been kind of this growing sense, um, among some Asian Americans at least, that Democrats are just not taking their community's concerns seriously enough. So that was one mess, right? <laughs> the second mess, of course, is the governor's embattled pick to lead the state's highest court, Hector LaSalle. You know, enough Democrats have come out saying they'll vote no on this guy, that she's going to need at least a few Republican votes, more likely than not, to get him approved, assuming he can even get through the Judiciary Committee. And, and uh, Senate Democrats have already gotten busy starting to stack that committee with LaSalle opponents. So... Never a dull moment in uh, Albany, that's for sure, in the first week of the legislative session, showed it.
1: I have talked to Andrew Cuomo, and he regrets. He has told me he regrets getting rid of the uh, independent uh,
3: Democrats. Is that what it was called? (laughs) Oh, you're referring to the IDC, the Independent Democratic uh, Conference?
1: Yes, we had six uh, Democratic, Democratic senators that had more common sense than the other ones.
3: Well, the former governor certainly knows uh, a thing or two about state politics. But you know, the, the Independent Democratic Conference, of course, was a group of breakaway Democrats that helped Republicans keep control of the state Senate for years and years, um, much to the dismay of fellow Democrats. Um, See, you suspected. you talk
1: bre- you say breakaway. You say, Jack, you say breakaway re- Republicans or Democrats, but I'm saying just common sense Democrats.
3: Well, that's certainly how they put it at the time. You, you know, whenever you have like a, a small group, like we might see with the whole House Speaker election right now, a small group get to become the in-between, you know, between you know a minority and a slightly bigger majority conference. You get lots of deals and okay, okay, old habits. Uh, Cuomo was certainly a deal maker, and the IDC was all about deals. You know, a lot of these Democrats, you know, had practical reasons for joining. The Republicans, as you mentioned, um, you know, they wanted to pass bills. They pointed to Democratic dysfunction in the state Senate. Um, but, you know, whatever the former governor <laughs> says about the matter, you know, that, that was a million years ago at this point. You know, now you see forms in like 20, 2013, 14, something like that. I can't recall offhand. You know, right now what Hochul has is kind of the opposite pr- problem in a way. They, the state Senate... Is kind of separating. And right now, the, the progressives on the left, they're in the opposition to LaSalle. But there's also about 20 members who have said nothing about LaSalle who are leaning a bit more, you know, typically lean more moderate. And what we may or may not see is the Republicans joining with that moderate group of state senators to approve this court pick. That would be a really interesting way to get it approved. It's never been done before, and as soon State Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins would even allow a floor vote on this. But she, too, has not said one way or another you know, how she'll vote. And, you know, while it looks pretty bad for her pick right now, there still is a road for, roadway for him to get through and get to the finish line. But that all depends, of course, on, you know, how a few things play out in the upcoming weeks, not least the hearing where LaSalle himself, can make his case against uh, opponents who, you know, have kind of cast him as this uh, abortion-hating, union-busting ogre. And, uh, you know, college past and present say that's something LaSalle they know.
1: Anything else that you think that uh, all New York State New York City people would like to know?
3: Well, I think, you know, it's important to keep an eye on the legislature because, you know, while— Uh, You know, there's so much drama going on in D.C. You know, you can't outdo Albany for political drama. You know, I just mentioned Lester Chang, Hector LaSalle. And next week is going to be the governor's state of the state. Budget season begins from there. We're going to be talking a lot of bail reform. And I'm sure there'll be lots of very interesting intrigue around these very serious issues in the months to come. Casinos. Anything, any update on that? Oh, well, that was a biggie. You know, a state panel this week, you know, moved things one step closer to actually opening three downstate casinos. You know, it looks like one would be in Yonkers, one on Long Island and one possibly right in the middle of everything in Manhattan. Um, You know, there's a lot of money at stake and, you know, it took years to get this casino expansion through the legislature. Now it's done. Locals push it a bit further, and we're you know just getting a little bit closer, step by step, to finding out who is going to land very lucrative state licenses. Now, Yonkers is not New York City. <laughs> well, I, you know, certainly it isn't from a political, geographical standpoint, but it is part of the metro region. And more importantly, you know who represents Yonkers in the state legislature? Andrea Stewart-Cousins. The majority,
1: uh, the majority leader <laughs> of uh, the state senate.
3: And powerful, you know, powerful friends never heard anybody get a casino license. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. It seems like Yonkers is one of the places that's, you know, um, you got to keep in mind, you know, this isn't just, you know, they want people with experience. They want companies that can demonstrate they have managed, you know, gaming operations before. You know, you can't just come in as some, you know, rookie wannabe Bugsy Siegel and think that you're going to land a New York State casino license especially if you don't have powerful friends. And, and what days is your column appearing in the New York Post? Any day, uh, Monday through Friday, you're likely to see my work and sometimes on the weekend as well. Well, I'd be looking for
1: it. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you.
0: You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Steve
1: Cates otherwise known as Dr. Sky, who's with us every week to tell us when we look up in the sky, what do we see? Steve Cates, it's the new year. What have you found so far?
4: Well, John, I wanted to do some more research first. Good morning. We talked last week about the wandering pole, and knowing that you're a pilot and many people out there that are. I just uh, wanted to get Let's make research. sure everybody,
1: everybody knows what you're talking about. The north pole uh, is, is yes. shifting left and shifting right. Now, Now. They changed the runways on some of the the airports. What's going on with that?
4: Well, John, this is interesting. The backstory on this is there's a difference between the North Magnetic Pole and the Geographic Pole. And we're going to talk about the one that's the most prominent here, about aviators and concern to people like yourselves and anybody else that flies. This is important. You find out that the North Magnetic Pole, John, through my own research, is moving at 500 feet per day compared to the Earth's geographic North Pole. So that means if you take a look at the map of the entire northern hemisphere, you see a long time ago that geomagnetic pole was somewhere way up in the northern part of Canada. But now it's racing up past the actual north pole that we have, which is the Earth, you know, geographic north pole, and it continues to wander. Why? Astronomers and physicists believe that deep within the Earth, we find these turbulent currents of molten metal inside the Earth that are shifting. So as time moves on, We're going to have to see many of the runways in some of these airports, particularly in the northern climates. They're going to have to change the exact designation for latitude and longitude, I should say, latitude. But here's the story. Take an example. The declination of the Denver International Airport has changed by one degree every 10 years, meaning that after another 30 years, that particular airport runways will need to be renamed this is something that goes on deep within the Earth, John. It's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen.
1: We talked about last week, the uh, 24 hours it was beginning to shift the other
4: way, the uh, seconds. Yes, right. Well, it's- what we were talking about is we have to make changes in our clocks. And since the Earth was originally slowing down, now we're finding out the Earth's rotation is speeding up. So instead of adding these seconds to add time to the calendar... We may simply have to subtract these milliseconds out of the calendar. The bottom line, John, is the Earth is not a very so stable platform for all of us for observation.
1: The Earth is, it tends to adjust itself.
4: It sure does. And there's something else that may happen, too, and not to alarm people. And we can talk about that, hopefully, in detail some other time. That is a complete shift of the magnetic polarity of the Earth. That happened
1: Well, in that was my next pre- question. Yeah. That was the, my next <laughs> sure. question. If it keeps moving, if, yes. the, uh, if the magnetic pole
4: keeps moving, at what point does it shift north to south? Well, John, nobody knows the exact timing. It, there, this, is what, this is what's so complicated. This is We talk about these great mysteries and try to give as best answers we can to all of you listeners on the show and everybody else out there. That the Earth yeah. has changed its polarity, and it probably will do so not in the next couple of weeks, but this is something that happens on planets that have liquid cores. And the Earth, you can always blame pretty much the, the, the main culprit for this, in many people's estimations, is the dynamo or that liquid molten material inside the Earth. And here's another quick one. We find out that the Earth's geographic North Pole, which we think is so stable, you know, the axial rotation, if you put a line right through the North Pole in the South, there's also something called the Chandler wobble in there. And this was discovered by a scientist back around 1891, and it says that that pole, the exact axis pole that we have, shifts over a course of every 433 days by about 30 feet. Why? They're blaming it on different stresses underneath the ocean as different land masses shift under the ocean with the great pressure and weight of water. So this is just an amazing story that we continue to talk about. That's why we love talking about these mysteries. And, John, you know, there's another great thing coming up down the pipeline, I should say, another one of these comets. And I've been observing comets, John, from my own backyard observatory and big professional observatories for over 40 years. What's important about that is we have a new comet entering the solar system. It's called Comet C-2022-E3, and it was actually discovered last year in March of 2022 by this amazing camera telescope that's located in California called the Zwicky Transit Facility. John, can you imagine a camera with a 48-inch mirror with 605 megapixels? It found this exact object, the comet. It's going to be closest to the Earth on February 2nd, not to worry, by some 26 million miles and closest to the sun on January the 12th. But it has a 50,000-year orbit. But why is this important? Comets, John, many people believe... They can actually seed life into these different planetary objects. This is one thing we call panspermia, because they're leftover material from the creation of the solar system. And all throughout history, comets have looked on as portents of doom, not to be negative in the new year. But comets were not necessarily looked on as good things. Let's say that we can hope that people might be able to get to see this comet. And the real truth is that's why we talk about this and give them the real true story. You cannot see this comet with the naked eye at any time now. Maybe in the weeks to come it might brighten, but giving you the best information, and accurate as it is, the comet, you would still need a pair of binoculars or a telescope to see it, but it's still amazing that this thing is coming through the solar system. They travel fastest, and God help us, John, if a comet were to strike the Earth, not about an asteroid, that's another problem, but comets travel at such great velocities, and their nuclei, the center of those comets themselves, range upwards to about 100 miles in diameter, as astronomers have just discovered one way out past the orbit of Saturn. So there's great information out there. Over the weekend, you can get to see the remnants of the beautiful full wolf moon. The planet Venus John is in the southwest. That's a beautiful sight to see. We're always privileged and honored to talk about these subjects here on your radio show. And so much more information, and of course, my particular blog and podcast, the Dr. Sky Experience at com. What do we say, John? Always remember to keep your eyes to the skies. So much information out there. And want to say Happy uh, New Year to everybody. And, hey, you know what today is, John? Elvis Presley's birthday is today. He would have been 88 oh years old. Oh, my God. How about, that? <laughs>
1: <You> should, <laughs> How about no, that? I wish he was still alive. He was
4: a great talent. Absolutely, my friend.
1: Now, uh, the, the other thing maybe we can talk about in the future uh, sure. is... If, if the Earth keeps adjusting itself, because uh, mm-hmm. I had somebody else on a couple of weeks ago that, uh, that uh, says that this climate uh, uh, hullabaloo is a lot of mm-hmm. hullabaloo because the, uh, the, the planet Earth tends to adjust itself.
4: Absolutely, John. So- the Earth has this great healing capability. It doesn't need a vaccine. And remember this. All weather comes from the sun. And I'm not necessarily a skeptic of total climate changes. Obviously, we don't want to pollute the world. I agree with people on that. Yes, but,
1: absolutely. I agree with but,
4: that. Right. But here's the interesting part, John. Over the years, just to go on to your point, the Earth has this amazing ability to cleanse itself. There have been many mass extinctions on the Earth. Why is there nothing on the Earth alive? Because the Earth has healed itself over billions of years. And what's really interesting about this is if you look at the different changes in solar activity, all I'm saying is, People should be more open-minded, in my opinion, to study the long history of solar astronomy and how the sun has affected the Earth over the course of not just the last two or three hundred years, but, John, as we and you and I both would agree, over thousands and hundreds of thousands of years and millions of years. The bottom line is, you're right. The Earth has a healing effect, but let's not rest on our laurels and think that we should just do anything we want because the climate change that we do see, right?
1: could be serious. I, I agree 100% and my philosophy is that uh, the Earth has the, our creator. There is a God because the Earth didn't yes. form by itself and all the protections on the Earth didn't, didn't happen by themselves. Absolutely. I, has, has created the Earth to help heal itself uh, and we should not uh, we should be careful with the Earth about uh, polluting it. We should always be careful. But sure. We can't, we can't starve the people to death because of that. And we can't, mm-hmm. uh, 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 if we do the wrong things, we're going to lose our country. And that's, I really believe you,
4: that. You're absolutely right, John. And, you know, for years we've been talking about, I've always been doing, have been doing other shows like A Call to Rights about what you guys talk about every day, truth, justice, and the American way. And I say it this way, we need not to fall into this entire fallacy that climate change should be this global governance type thing. That's totally nonsense, in my opinion. But the truth of the matter is, as you've said it so well, the Earth does heal itself. And I'm concurring as a person who studies science. Then obviously we need to study more about the mechanisms from our star the sun, because solar activity, John, is heating up right now. And it's going to and be pretty And we have zero no, control. We have, zero control. We have zero control over that. That's the creation. Thank you, Dr.
1: Sky. Steve Cates. We look forward to talking again next week, and uh, God bless you, and uh, Happy New Year.
4: Thank you, John. Happy New Year, and thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable.
2: Only in America can a guy from anywhere go to sleep a pauper and wake up a millionaire.
1: With us today is the former governor of the state of New York, and uh, to give us a, an update of what the heck is going on in the second week of 2023, Governor Patterson, what the heck is going on?
5: Well, John, uh, this week, Governor Kathy Hochul was inaugurated. Of course, she became governor when the former Governor Cuomo resigned. But now she won the election and begins her first four-year term on her own. Uh, she gave a speech in Albany. She's putting her uh, state-of-the-state address in up a little bit it's usually the second wednesday in january she's going to have it be the second tuesday so june 11th she'll put out uh, really her plans for the year and then um in late uh, in late january what am i saying june i think because i wish it's june but in uh, late january she will um put out her budget and uh, of course that will really let you know what it's going to look like in albany for the rest of the spring
1: you uh you have any indication what rumors are going around on some of the things that are happening
5: it certainly looks to me uh like this should be a kind of a um uh a tipping point in albany because there is a little struggle between uh, the governor and the legislature and hopefully they can come together uh the governor's Uh, nominee, um, uh, Judge Hector LaSalle, as you know, I uh, endorsed that nomination this week. I think it would go a long way. He's not exactly what some of the legislators wanted, but he's also not what they're saying he is. And uh, what I think they need to do is to take that problem up with the governor, but meanwhile confirm him. You know, we both work with Ed Cox. He does the shows with us in the afternoon. He said he's as good as any judge. That they've ever made chief judge it's not like we're doing some diversity favor here the man is very well respected
1: what ed cox said is the state legislature is trying to dictate to the commission and control the uh, another branch of the government which is the uh,
5: appeals court i don't think that the commission can dictate who the nominee should be to the legislature but i think that the legislature does have to understand that the commission's choice of seven judges, you had to pick one of those seven. I, I know that when I was governor, and oddly enough, I would have picked the first Hispanic judge, who I thought was excellent, a woman named Carmen Saperik, and the commission left her off the list, and the attorney general, Andrew Cuomo, and I at the time had a press conference and actually blasted the commission. But once they did their job, I was obliged to pick from that list, and that's what I did. In that case, Judge Jonathan Littman became the uh, chief judge of the Court of Appeals.
1: Judge Littman. He is the guy that said we should close down Rikers Island.
5: Well, that's one thing he did, but he did a lot of great things when he was there, John.
1: Oh, okay.
5: So he's got a good batting average. One mistake. Yeah, he's, a, he's two out of three. That would make him a Hall of Famer for his baseball.
1: Absolutely. A six-six-six batting average.
5: And also you, John, that math was so quick. I can realize how you did so well in those grocery stores.
1: I went to Brooklyn Tech High School. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Governor Patterson, thank you so much for having uh, common sense and speaking out for all the people of New York. God bless you, and have a great New Year. Thank you
5: so much, John.
1: With us today is Scott Shea. He's chairman of Signature Bank, one of the leading banks in, uh, in the country and in New York. And uh, he's also the author of three books, A New Yorker, and very concerned of anti-Semitism in our city, in our state, and in the country. And uh, how are you? Good
0: morning, Scott Shea. Good morning, John. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Where do we start? Let's start with anti-Semitism, because I'm, I'm, in my entire life, I've never personally seen a situation like this where... Uh, there's, on average, more than one attack on a Jew every day in New York City, one violent attack on a Jew, where, 50, according to the FBI in the last data, the last annual data, 55% of all attacks against hate crimes for religion were related to Jews, hate crimes on Jews, where Jews were the victims, where Jews only comprised about 2% of the population. And then you have the media, and particularly, shamefully, the New York Times lately, that is really displaying almost systemic anti-Semitism on its own. So I'm, I'm quite concerned. And, um, I, I you know, the, 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 the thing that needs to be said for people who think, well, this is just about the Jews, is generally what starts with the Jews doesn't end with the Jews. It's not a good sign for society that this is going unanswered.
1: I interviewed the mayor uh on uh Friday and he is very very much concerned in as far as New York City is concerned. He wants more law and order in the city. Uh
0: what say you? Well, I say that would be more law and order um is great and important not only for the um for each of its populations Jews being among them, but also for getting the city back to work. There's no question that I hear um, from business leaders and workers and people at all, uh, all parts of New York that um, they no longer feel safe, and we have a long way to go. And look, with respect to anti-Semitism, I think only of all the crimes committed against Jews in anti-Semitism, I think only two people have actually been to jail for it, so, what's happening is catch and release, and that's problematic because it says you can commit a crime, and sadly, um, you can get away with it, and that's not that's not good for the city. That's for sure.
1: Tell us about your three books that you did.
0: Sure. Well, my first book, Getting Our Groove Back, was about the American Jewish community and uh it was and it was it basically describes what uh what the opportunities are for the American Jewish community in terms of growing how Jews can contribute and have contributed and continue continue to contribute to society as a whole. My second book, and you remember this well actually um in good faith because uh, i I uh, tried to include thought leaders and 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 leaders of uh, uh, theological leaders of all stripes. Was basically a response to the uh, evangelical uh, atheism of Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, and basically I read their books carefully and responded to uh, responded to them. But not only me, I brought in names like Cardinal Dolan, like uh, Bishop Murphy, like Father Alex Carlustos, mother, God Godfather of my
1: children. It's Father Alex Kaluzos,
0: uh, And, and, uh, and I, I wanted to bring in all sorts of, uh, of folks like Father Alex. And, and, I, and, and it, was, it was a very well-received book, as you know. I mean, it was, uh, had several printings and um, has, has made quite a mark. My third book, I actually didn't intend to write. It's Conspiracy You. And it's about how conspiracy theories about Jews are masquerading as scholarship uh, throughout academia and in articles in media. Things that could not be written about anybody else, about any other group, are being read about, are being written and espoused about Jews. And the amazing thing is that we used to have a society where. The more educated one was, the less likely they were to be anti-Semitic. But one study that I show, one careful study that I show in the in Conspiracy U, is now the more educated you are, the more likely you are to be anti-Semitic. In other words, if you have high school only education, you're less likely to be anti-Semitic than someone who has a college education. And if you have a graduate degree, you are much more likely. To be anti-Semitic, and I'm not even talking about you know all these fancy conversations about anti-Israelism versus anti-Semitism. I'm talking about anti-Semitism, blatant, um, where it's relating to people wearing yarmulkes and relating to people who observe the Sabbath. You know, you don't even have to get to Israel, even though I think that anti-Israelism is um, pretty closely related uh, and and generally identical. To anti-Semitism. There are some exclusions. There are some differentials, um, and there are some people who are, are anti-Israel but not anti-Semitic, and even vice versa. But that's the. But when you actually ask a number of questions, it's it's fewer than one would think.
1: We got another minute or so left. Uh, tell us, uh, 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 Israel, their position on the Ukraine uh, Russian uh, war.
0: Yeah, it's it's complicated for Israel, and it's even complicated. It's complicated for every government. Even though there was a more moderate government, and now there's the government's now led by uh, a more right wing group. The issue is this: Israel has a border with Russia in Syria because Syria was has been entirely propped up by Putin, and so even though I'd say eighty percent of Israelis strenuously, um, strenuously support Ukraine, the foreign policy has been a little more tempered. Having said that, Israel has supplied um, a lot of aid to um, to Ukraine. What they can't provide and what Ukraine has asked for is the iron is for the Iron Dome. But unfortunately, Israel has to use that very frequently because of incoming missiles. Um, so they haven't been able to align that to the Ukraine. Before we close off, tell us about the banking business. Well, I think this is going to be, I think the banking business, I think this is going to be a um, uh, a year that we're going to, that the economy is going to go into a recession. Um, the bank, our signature bank has remained, uh, in, you know, extraordinarily strong throughout this um, and maintained an extremely liquid position Um Rates, I think, this year will be increasing a bit. I expect the next rate increase to be their 25 or 50 basis points. But I think after that, the Fed's going to lay off. And I think they're going to recognize that they've, they've done a lot. And hopefully, they'll sit back and see what happens. Because, you know, they need to take the Hippocratic Oath of first, do no harm. And they've really gone a long way in a short period of time.
1: Well, my opinion is, I think they uh, they've gone a long way. Uh, you don't uh, the you know the, I don't think cause the American people don't want a recession, and it doesn't look like we have the lowest unemployment ever. And um, I hope the Fed uh, pulls back on their uh, interest rates uh, increases because they're destroying the real estate industry.
0: Well, that they're doing for sure, but I think they don't—they don't—they—they do not really care. Um, I think they're going to keep raising. I think their idea was they could keep raising rates until something breaks, and—and um, and that's what they've done. <laughs> so. Well, Scott
1: J, uh, chairman, signature bank, author of three books pro-israel uh, worried about anti-Semitism thank you for being a New Yorker God bless you and God bless America thank you everywhere I'm- With us today is uh, Mayor Eric Adams. It's the conclusion of his first year in office, and he's uh, he's going to talk about his vision uh, in, uh, for his second year in office. Mr. Mayor, how are you?
6: Great to speak with you, and good to be on your show. You know, it, it seems like your show has all the known folks. You you are really a real voice for New
1: York. Well, thank you. You've completed the first year in office uh, a few days ago, and uh, I've seen the statistics uh, for December, and your crime numbers are down. Uh, Do you see that continuing into January, February, March?
6: When you look at the crime pattern and some of the historical victories uh, we witnessed, particularly during the years when Bill Bratton was the police commissioner, uh, you saw how was was crime trending. And that is what we're witnessing now. In January, uh, we saw that uh, from December, November, December of of 2021, crime was trending up. When we entered January, we saw that continuing trend. And we knew we had to get a handle on the guns and gangs. Uh, They were driving a lot of our crime and a lot of repeated offenders. And now we're seeing in the latter half of the year, we're seeing crime trend downward. And we want to continue that success going into 2023.
1: Governor Hochul uh, is giving a state of the state the next few days. She has uh, said that the two main problems is uh, crime and uh, housing. you feel those are our two main problems in New York City?
6: Yes, 100%. Uh, She is very clear and focused uh, that we must uh, live in our city in good, affordable housing, and we must be safe while we're living in our city. And she knows that the driver of crimes, for the most part, violent crimes, uh, we have a number of repeated offenders, recidivists throughout the entire state in general, but specifically here in New York City. And we're hoping to partner with her and the other lawmakers in Albany as we come together and zero in on these dangerous people so that we can make sure that they are no longer on our streets. That was part of the Conversation I had yesterday with Reverend Al Sharpton, Dr. Hazel Dukes, and Jennifer Joan Austin and my other colleagues throughout the state. How do we tackle the criminal justice problem we have in a real way?
1: We had the Police Athletic League uh, Christmas party, a holiday party, a few weeks ago, and uh, our district attorney came, who was a very nice guy. But I I, I said to him, uh, look at the kids. We had about 1,000 kids there. I said, look at those kids do you want to see them die in the streets? And he realizes, no, he doesn't want to see them die in the streets. And uh, uh, we're all hoping he comes around And because there's a very, a, a very few criminals that are responsible for the overall crime situation. And um, we don't mind paying the taxes, but we want to save New York. I think you feel the same way.
6: Without a doubt. And you know what's interesting about your analysis? The problem we're facing among young people. We have an increase in the number of young people who are shot, an increase in the number of young people who are doing shooters, an increase in young people who are the victims of crimes. And we must really zero in on how do we create a safe environment for our young people and go after those who are harming our young people. John, when you look at what we are doing around increasing some of youth employment, over 90,000 young people, increasing and what we uh, held and kept schools open during the summer months, uh, what we're doing about justice involved young people. I don't think there has ever been a mayor that has been more focused on dealing with the feeders of crimes and how do we protect young people that I have been focused on in my administration.
1: I'm glad you're on top of it and uh, hopefully we can solve that problem so New York will be the greatest city in the world again. Uh, the other problem we have, uh, is the small businesses uh, are suffering. Uh, I understand there's a statistic that came out. I'm not sure it was the uh, NYPD. 332 shoplifters are responsible for 32,000 crimes. Now, to allow 332 people to abuse the businesses of our city, maybe uh, you can talk about that. We had a summit at
6: Gracie Mansion with the attorney general, district attorneys, uh, police, those from major chain stores up to the large department stores uh, to talk about and drill specifically into the issue. And it broke into two categories. Number one, there was a group of people who are recidivists, repeated offenders, who were dealing with the basic needs uh, that they felt they had to still to accomplish that. And we needed to come up with a plan on how we deal with someone who has a drug problem or who believes they must steal to eat. Our goal is to direct them where the city resources are located, so they won't continue continuously go into our stores to steal, and really hurt our small businesses and our chain stores. Then there was another group that we find that they're organized crime. Uh, they are going in stealing and hiring large number of people to go into steal goods and sell them on the internet or in other ways of selling them. The attorney general and I, we partnered to go after uh, one of the main uh, racketeers who was doing this, but there are more who are doing this. And so there's a dual approach because you're right, John, we cannot continue to see the erosion of our small businesses, our chain stores. They hire New Yorkers. And we need to have them stay here. If they leave our market, it's going to have a major impact on our economy. But we have to send a strong message that you cannot walk into a store, steal whatever you want, and walk out without any repercussion. And we're not going to allow that to happen.
1: I agree. Uh, And so many, uh, I think, 784 chain stores have closed in the last uh, uh, 12 months. And Rite Aid closed all 27 stores in Manhattan. Uh, And sooner or later, it's going to hurt the people in the uh, uh, black and brown communities, too, because they're going to have no place to get their drugs or shop. And it's more than that,
6: John. Yes, they're not going to have places to shop, but also walk in those stores and see who's working there. It's clearly those stores are, you know, the first level of moving into uh, the, the middle class is employment of many of the people who are there are providers of their families, their students, uh, their individuals who are going on to expand on their careers. So when you lose those stores, it feeds into the unemployment. And that is what we must understand. You can't have a small number of people being destructive and damaging industries, and that damage will cascade throughout the entire city.
1: The third problem that exists is uh, we're uh, we're losing a lot of middle class. I think in the last 24 months, statistics say, and I don't know how much of that is New York City versus New York State, that we lost 484,000 middle class and above people that left New York City, New York State. If we lose 484,000 and we gain 100,000 of people that need welfare, and the city has to pay for them, sooner or later, the numbers
6: are going to blow up. When you think about it, and I say this over and over again, uh, people must connect the dots. 51% of our taxes are paid by 2% of New Yorkers. We must understand the role that high-income New Yorkers play in this city. And when I hear people uh, totally attempting to say they don't play a significant role. That is just wrong. They do. And they love this city as much as a low-income New Yorker would love this city. We are all part of the same financial ecosystem. So we want the person who drives the limousine to be paid a good salary, and we want the person who sits in the back of the limousine to use their discretionary dollars to go to our theaters, to contribute to our nonprofits, to contribute to our museums, our boards, and all of the things that high-income earners are doing. That is the ecosystem that allows us to be a great city. And so we don't want them fleeing the city, going to other municipalities. And that's why I am finding that no matter who I speak with, uh, no matter if it's the driver of the limousine or the one that sits in the back, they want a safe, clean city where they can raise healthy children and families, and we have an obligation to provide that.
1: You're absolutely – every cab driver, every Uber driver tells me the same thing. All they want yes. is a safe, clean city. Uh, yes. So the, the vision for 2023 is those three problems we talked about, and I think that we're, we're in the grasp. Half the problem of fixing them is having a, a chief executive officer, which you're the chief executive officer of uh, New York City, uh, having the knowledge that the problems exist, so hopefully we can fix them.
6: Yes, uh, we are extremely optimistic. I say all the time to use the best analogy. uh, 2022 was my rookie year. 2023 is my Aaron Judge year. I'm trying to knock it out the park this year. Uh, We have a lot of things in the pipeline uh, that I believe uh, we are going to be able to roll out and implement as we deal with the real crises uh, that cities are facing across the entire country. Uh, All of our cities are struggling with crime, economy. Uh, some of us are struggling with the migrant issues. Uh, we know that here in New York, we are American city, and if we get it right, it is duplicated across the entire country. And, and our goal is to build the right team, which we are really pleased with our team. We're transitioning. I'm losing uh, my chief of staff, who was a good friend and advisor for many years, but we're bringing on a dynamic chief of staff, and Camille, who's really a solid, solid Uh, person that could manage the team. And we bring on a new uh, first deputy mayor. Uh, Today, Lorraine Grillo is is leaving to go into private life. She has been an amazing anchor for the team. Uh, We're now bringing on Sheena Wright, who's going to fill her spot. But we have so many good leaders with years of expertise in and out of government to solve these difficult problems that we're facing.
1: Mr. Mayor, we're almost out of time, but 2026 is... Uh, America's uh, 250th year. I hope we can come up with a dream to, do, to bring New York back and help celebrate that in some way uh, in, in the future. A dream is a dream. We have to figure it out.
6: Yes, and you know what? It is a dream. And I tell people all the time, John, uh, there is no other country on the globe where dream is attached to its name, only the American dream. And that dream is a reality. And you and I are symbols of that dream. We may have come from different pathways of your hard fight to open your supermarkets and then uh, become the person who you are. Uh, That is part of the dream. My dream of growing up in South Jamaica, Queens, you know, experiencing dyslexia, but now I'm the mayor of the city of New York. Uh, That is only in America. And so when I hear people talk about the, Things that America can't do, I tell them the things America has done. We're all part of that dream, John, and I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be a New Yorker, and I'm proud to be part of the American dream.
1: I, I feel the same way. I grew up in, in Harlem on the west side of Manhattan, 135th Street, and, um, and this city, this city made, made me who I was or who, who I am, and I work with you together. Uh, and uh, New York is the greatest city in the world, and we 're going to make sure it stays the greatest city in the world. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, for coming on and giving us the state of the city and uh, and which way we 're going and uh, we 'll catch up again real soon.
6: Yes, take care. wish you well. Happy New Year.
1: Thank you for being with us for the catch round table local edition the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. We'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.
3: This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive